Hey friends, I appreciate you tuning into the Deal Farm podcast where I hope you feel at least mildly entertained and possibly even inspired to take big action towards improving your life and your business. On this episode, Kevin and I talked to Nathan Lane out of Salt Lake City about scaling his wholesaling business back into a much easier system that focuses more on buyers and less on generating leads. Stay tuned in as we uncover his strategy. Hey, Ken, how's it going today? Man, I could not be better. It is a fabulous day, isn't it? It actually is amazing. It's going to be like 80 degrees uh-huh. dry, like just finally we're coming out spring. of uh, our, you know, our winter hibernation. It's been it's been warm. It's beautiful. out. You know, I just have one problem. There's only one problem when it's just this phenomenal of weather in the springtime. You know what that is? Falling. The birds. The birds. No, the birds, man. And, and I, I love sleeping. I love sleeping with the windows open, but at like 5 a.m., the birds are so loud, all singing and happy and joyful. And it's like, just let me sleep. I don't know anybody that's complained about birds in the spring. Oh my gosh, the birds are so loud. So maybe it's just our house. Maybe we're just like surrounded by Disney birds or something. I don't know. Well, you know, actually, what's funny is you've got issues with birds, and I actually have issues with bees. So it is the birds and the bees right now. We've got uh, these giant carpenter bees that are swirling oh, yeah. around our house, like an insane amount of them this year. And so uh, yesterday, we've got one of those electric um, swatters. It looks like a tennis racket, mm-hmm. electrified. Yeah. And I went out there with the kids yesterday and just went to town on those bumblebees. Oh, man, it was really? fun. It's like a sport. It could almost be a sport, just killing yeah. bumblebees. So when you swat them with the electric, uh, do they just boom drop to the ground? Oh yeah, that makes a good zap noise too, like a bug zapper. Like zaps mm-hmm. them, it like stuns them and puts it puts them on the ground. And then of course you stomp on them and all that fun stuff. It's a good time. So speaking of birds and bees, not not at this house, but a house we used to live at, we used to have a problem with woodpeckers, giant woodpeckers, oh, yeah. because they like to eat carpenter bees. And so they'd find that little hole where the carpenter went in, yeah. and they'd start ripping the wood out, just like tearing the wood out. And they, <laughs> they ripped off part of our siding. They ripped up a fence. Wow. I mean, uh, the railing to our deck. I mean, just tore. It's amazing how destructive these big, and they were like Woody Woodpecker Woodpecker, huge, Massive real ones. tall guys. Yeah. yeah, it would just rip up the, the house. Well, so. not to mention they're just so stinking loud. I mean, woodpeckers are just crazy loud. Hey, while we're talking about carpenter bees, which is totally on topic for the podcast, um, we we demoed a, a barn. We would bought a, some property. There was a, a yeah. barn that was going to be demoed. I went in there and, and got a whole bunch of wood, like these really yeah. cool, you know, old rough. It was the old dimensional lumber, wasn't it? Old dimensional lumber. It was awesome. Well, we got it home, and Rocco and me were, you know, pulling out all the nails out because we wanted to be able to use it. So all these old rusty nails, and so we spent like a, an afternoon just pulling nails out of wood. In the process of doing that, though, there were these old caverns where these suckers were hibernating. Because like, do you ever wonder where they go in the winter? Like they go somewhere. You mean the or, carpenter bees? The carpenter bees. They're We're hibernating in the woods. Hibernating in the woods. So we found these, yeah, these all oh, this old wood. And we found these old holes. And sure enough, as we're cutting the wood and sawing the wood, masses amounts of like hibernating carpenter bees were started falling out of the wood. Oh my gosh. And they were like Were they angry? Really, or were they really, no, no, they were totally sleeping. And like we woke them up, so they're kind of coming to. They were kind of drunk acting, you know. They didn't have, but they were clearly alive, just waiting yeah. to come back. We basically woke them up in the minute in the middle of their hibernation. You didn't get stung though. I mean, Nothing. they weren't like ticked off. No, they were. I'm telling you, man, they were 
mostly asleep. But it solved the mystery. I always wondered where the heck these suckers went over the winter. And that's where they, 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 they carved the these woods. holes out. And they were deep. I mean, these holes went back five, six inches into the oh, wood. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty so crazy. we had them at, yeah, we had carpenter bees at our last house. And uh, I just used steel wool. I just plug up all the holes with the steel wool. And yep. Yeah. Apparently that would just keep them in there. I them. guess they just are buried alive and, and die. I so I hope like, carpenter from bees, are listening any, to this. Do they do anything positive? Like they're not making honey. Like what is that? Yeah, I'm sure they're pollinating. They're still pollinators. They're still carrying pollen from one flower petal to the next. And, I don't know. They're carrying their own weight. If they're not making honey. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> What's the point, man? If they're not making honey. <laughs> What's the I point can't of eat it. Bee? I hate it. And why do they call them a carpenter bee other than they just ruin all your carpentry? Yeah, because they cut wood, I guess. that's. But it is beautiful. Isn't it a beautiful spring? It's just it's gorgeous. It's, it's so nice to have the sun amazing. out. Except for those birds and bees, it's an amazing spring. Except right for now. the birds and the bees uh, and it just getting a little more sleep. Getting Well, that would always be nice, too. Yeah, that's, that's, that's on you for having a, a couple babies at home. Yeah. Well, hey, they're sleeping better, but now the birds are waking me up. So, hey. Those blasted birds. So, who do we got today? Um, we've got a gentleman out of Salt Lake City, Mr. Nathan beautiful. Payne. Who, Talk uh, about beautiful. Man, Salt Lake City, beautiful. Oh, I have bet you've right there before in the mountains I and have. everything. It is gorgeous. gorgeous. And it's clean. It's one of those cities. Like, I remember we went out there a couple of years ago. First thing we did is we just went straight downtown. And, mm -hmm. like, we toured the temple and all, because I was just so curious about it all. And, yeah. and it was everything was immaculately clean, just like the yeah. safest, cleanest city I've ever been in. And a bunch of nice people. They're just so nice. The nicest there, right? people. The nicest yeah. people. Yeah. So he uh, and you know what's interesting? There's a lot of folks just in real estate uh, investing in general that operate out of Utah coaching programs. Lots of yeah. lots of things are based. It's a great market. Absolutely there. a great market for it. Well, so Nathan, uh, I know he's built a pretty awesome business, now has a coaching business, and he's got a really cool, unique way about um, getting somebody started in real estate where they focus more on the buyer first and, and less on just finding the deal. And I, I really like his approach. So what do you think? Should we bring him on? I think so. Don't they, they call that what a, a reverse wholesale? Like, yeah, some people call it reverse wholesaling. Yeah, it's the same idea of really finding your buyer first. Yeah, start there. I think we bring him in. You think you can find him and bring let's, him in here? Let's see if he's, he's in Zoom. He's in the waiting room. I'm bringing him on right now. Awesome. Nathan, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Doing great. Feeling good this morning. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show, man. So thrilled to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So for those of you that uh, are folks that don't know who you are, maybe give us the quick rundown, kind of where you operate and what your business looks like. Yeah, so I, uh, I'm an investor in Salt Lake City, Utah. I uh, wholesale, fix and flip. I do pretty much whatever the extra strategy uh, makes the most money, makes the most sense. And I teach people how brand new beginners, the most profitable and efficient way to get started into real estate investing. And I believe that's wholesaling. And I, I show people how to do that. So my business right now, it's me and a virtual assistant from Pakistan. His name is Zeeshan. And we have specific buying buy box criteria from uh, top uh, buyers in our area. He works in Atlanta market. I work in the Salt Lake market and we just look for deals for our buyers. If we find something that comes across MLS, we make offers on it in behalf of our buyers or for them, right? Cause we know what they want. Uh, same thing on other wholesalers deals and we JV. So those are like kind of the three ways that we get deals. And uh, yeah, I went from having a big company at the beginning of last year. Well, not the beginning of last year. That's I had a big company that had acquisitions, reps, uh, dispositions, the whole the whole nine yards. When you're scaling out a, a wholesaling business, but uh, the market shift happened. I was like, look, 
um, let's, let's do this a little bit more efficient. So it's just me and virtual assistant. And, you know, I get to keep majority of the money I make instead of having to shell it out and pay a bunch of money in marketing and the lifestyle is a lot more relaxing. So that's what, that's what I do. And I teach people how to do it. I can totally appreciate, um, sometimes scaling back. Cause I, th I think folks in this business get hung up on like, you gotta scale, gotta be bigger, gotta do more deals. And sometimes a lot of times that just means more overhead and more headache. And right. so like that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean more profitable. hundred percent. And that's kind of what I saw. Like I was doing well and I was my company, you know, I'm just going to be real. Like it was like 20% profitable, right? It was like not doing that well, just because we're always experimenting. And sometimes we were losing out big on marketing channels. Like we ran a commercial. They told us commercials work. Unfortunately, commercials don't work very well in Utah, <laughs> right. you know, but it, maybe it worked. It makes, maybe it works well in like the Midwest. And, you know, we had a buddy in Arizona who was crushing it. And if commercials, he came up to Utah and got crushed, like he barely got any leads. So a lot of like what's get gets taught with marketing uh, doesn't always work in every market For as sure. well as other markets. So, yeah, there's always a little bit of trial and error. And when you're a scaled business, you've got this beast you got to feed. It's a machine that you're constantly plowing money into. And like you said, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. You have some good months and then you somehow you can have a series of really crappy months too that hurt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what the market shift happened, ha like happened to us. Like a lot of investors in Salt Lake, like they were, they're rolling in it. They were doing well on fix and flips. They were just wholetailing. We were buying deals and just putting on the MLS and making like 80 to 90K a deal. So it was great. But we also, the shift happened and we got stuck with three properties that uh, we also lost like 80 to 90K on those deals. Because I'm, I'll be real with it. Like it sucks, but if you're an investor, if you're a flipper here, everyone got hurt. Hurt. Yeah. Well, not just there yeah. either. I mean, I've got, right. I got friends in Austin. I got friends in different, especially hot markets. If they experienced, a, you know, a quick run up, which I, I think you know, Salt Lake got pretty hot. Any market yeah. that got overheated, you know, got cooled off just as fast as they overheated. And yeah, if you're an investor and you're sitting on some some properties, you can get stung real easily. That's right. Yeah. So maybe take us back just a little bit farther. What did it look like um, for you just getting into the business? Where did you cut your teeth and how did that kind of evolve for you? Yeah, so I uh, I was doing door-to-door -door sales for a couple, like six years before I got into real estate. I was doing well. I had a team. I was doing Dish Network and, um, you know, selling every summer, every fall with a couple guys. We'd go get a couple thousand accounts. And then after I got married, I was like, I don't want to do door-to-door -door anymore because I don't want to be so live a transient lifestyle. So uh, my buddy was doing wholesaling in college, and I, I reached out to him. I said, hey, you know, are you still doing that? He's like, nah, I went to a tech job. I said, well, hey, let's go into this uh, wholesaling thing. I'm going to do it. You have the experience. So we just went right into it, started knocking doors because that's what I was good at. Got our first deal from, you know, one of our first deals from knocking doors. Uh, we're flyering, cold calling. And that's that's how we got started. It's just taking it massive action. What's cool is you already kind of had the experience of going door to door with Dish and you're like, I can, I can, just a different pitch. You're still talking to people. Were you specific about where you door knocked? Were you doing some research or were you just looking at houses and being like, this looks like a, a good one. Let's go knock on the door. No, no uh, strategy whatsoever other than just <laughs> thought it was massive action. And that's kind of like why I primarily teach people how to get started in this because a lot of the the conventional wisdom, right, is like, hey, just go find a deal, right? And yeah. just like us, we were like, you asked what neighborhood you go to. We just picked a neighborhood. Like we had no idea. We didn't know what buyers were buying in. We didn't know what people wanted. We just went for it. So you could say it was a, a waste of time, right? But better to take action than not. But yeah, that's why I teach people like, hey, be a little bit more targeted when you first start uh, versus like just trying trying to get a deal. 
Right, right. So for, for you guys, you just said, let's take what we know door to door. Let's go knock on some doors. And you, it sounds like you popped a couple deals and then, and then that was it. You were hooked. You're off the races. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we also connected with a broker. We were networking. We connected with a broker when we first started who was, uh, interested in wholesaling. So he said, Hey, use my office. Here's a mojo dialer. Here's some expired listing lists. Uh, any, any deals that you get, you can keep in wholesale, any listings given to me and, and I'll give you like a referral fee. So that was a good intro to getting started. And then eventually we just went off on our own and, uh, you know, just took off from there trying to scale. And so, so how, how did you, I'm curious, how did you choose to scale? Like, what was your strategy on once you realized, man, there's a real opportunity here? What was your what was your approach to scaling up your business? Uh, get, increasing the amount of leads. It was always about marketing at that point, right? So we knew how to close. Obviously, we could we could always get better. So we were always trying to train ourselves on how to get better at closing the leads we got. But we started doing uh, pay-per-click, AdWords nerds, if you've heard of them. We started working with them. We started doing a lot of texting with like lead Sherpa at the time. Um, mm -hmm. So it was, that was how we scaled. We increased leads, uh, pay-per-click, texting. You remember what you guys uh, were paying per lead? Because I mean, that that sort of thing can add up, especially PPC can add up, especially in a market like Salt Lake. Did it fairly expensive yeah. for you guys? Oh, it was expensive. Back, you know, it's all. I think it's gone up since, since like four years ago when I started, but uh, I think it was like 250 bucks per lead. Yeah. Now it's probably yeah. like $500 per lead, it, yeah. especially like the strategy we were running. We were just doing Salt Lake and like the surrounding counties. So when you're very targeted in pay-per-click, it can get very expensive, right? Yeah, right? And I've actually even gone into like different strategies where I'm like, okay, let's go nationwide. Let's go the whole state. I've tried everything with pay-per-click to yeah. get the cost down. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, if, a lot of times the pay-per-click, what we found, if you go wider and bigger, then yes, you you sort of get what you get, you know, where, but you can drive your costs down. But how many people really can operate a nationwide business? It's not as easy as some people make it out to be. Tried it, bro. Tried it. Very, <laughs> very, very difficult. Dispositions yeah. is, well, selling the deals is 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 the nightmare at that point. Right. It's like, okay, I can get leads, I can get deals, but who's going to buy them? <laughs> yeah. Well, so I guess bring us up to speed. So you you scaled up, you know, the market shifted and you've scaled back down. So give us just sort of a run. What does your business look like today? How are you finding deals and who are you selling them to? So the company, like at that time, at, la at the beginning of last year, I started Investor Thrive, right? So it was me and my business partner. I said, hey, man, I'm going to go into Investor Thrive and build this up because I know we can help some people. And he's like, okay, I got the wholesaling business, right? So we kind of did our separate thing. Market ship happened and the, the wholesaling business took a hit and it just wasn't doing very well, right? And I was like, hey, man, like we're splitting everything 50-50. I got the coaching, you got the wholesaling, but the wholesaling is not like pulling its weight. We got a lot of people we're paying. Let's just break, let's just break off, right? And, and I, at that point, I was just like, hey, look, we don't really need to be partners right now. Um, we both pretty much provide the same value <laughs> you know you know how to run the wholesale right. business and he wasn't interested in the coaching so he went off he took off we pretty much just shut down and i was like how can i still get deals while running this coaching business and helping people and, and uh be successful so then there was like well hey like how have i been able to do most of my deals well it's been through just like looking on the mls looking at other wholesalers deals and jving making offers and uh, primarily like targeting specific areas where I know people are, that are hot, like people that people want. Yeah. So that's that's how the business started. That's how like my strategy just involved was doing those three strategies, right? Like, and it's all about like what is less time consuming, right? Because if you if you want to do the strategy of like call, cold calling, well, 
good. You're going to start generating lots of leads. You're going to have to filter all those leads. You're going to have to call them negotiate. So that's, that's time consuming. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be like as quick as possible. And it was all through networking and not having to find the deal, like and get under contract, but already finding deals that were selling and just tying, bringing them to, uh, buyers. Interesting. So the, the, so the stuff that you're putting under contract now, is it stuff that you've marketed for, or is it more, are you JVing with existing deals that other wholesalers have found? So stuff on the MLS, right? So it's already for sale. So yep. it's networking with agents. It's um, other wholesalers deals that they post out there, yep. right? And I say, okay, this meets our criteria. Let me make an offer on it. And I, or I can call my buyer and see what he'd pay. And then it's um, like JVing, right? It's like students coming to me and saying, hey, nay, I got a deal. I don't have buyers. And because I did the nationwide thing for so long, I know how to find buyers anywhere. And that's that's a better use of my time than going to find the deal. It's already a deal that they're bringing. I just have to find a buyer. Right. So those are like three of the, the ways I really, I do most of my deals. So you focused, it sounds like your model is you, now you focus more of your attention on the buyer side. It, these are guys that maybe don't, they're not savvy enough to be well networked to find these deals that are out there for the picking. They're just not plugged in enough. They're not well networked. So you kind of leverage your network and then just bring them the deals, but you're really more focused, you know, sort of buyer centric. Is that accurate? 100%. Yeah, because who pays us? Who pays wholesalers? It's always the buyer, right? Sure. And yeah. um, if you don't have good relationships with buyers, you could have a deal that could be a good deal, but you just don't have the the network to get it done. And that's happened many times where I've JV'd with people. They have the deal. They just don't know who to give it to. And you know we're able to get a deal done. But yeah, totally uh, buyer-centric because um, especially with the shift, right? Like in back of the, over the last two years, you could just put anything on the MLS in itself, right? But right. right now, it's it's not that quick. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I guess talk to us for a second then about who are your buyers, who who are these folks that are you that have this buy box. I mean, when I hear buy box, to me, it sounds like you know institutional buyer. Is that who you're working with? So I do work with a lot of hedge funds, right? So I know their their criteria, but I also I'm in a couple masterminds, so I know like people that have uh, funds from other private investors that they have to deploy, right? They have mm -hmm. to get rid of. So they I know their buy box criteria. I also have people in my market that I've you know developed relationships with, and they tell me, hey, I want something on the east side of the highway between 27th Street and this street. So then it's easy for me to go look at those areas when like you know potential listings pop up or wholesalers deals. So it's 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 institutional and it's it's through relationships. Gotcha. I, I like how you stress the importance of finding um, and building your, those buyers or that, you know, that network of buyers before you go out there and start looking for deals. So maybe talk to us for a minute. What does that look like? How do you, how are you coaching your students on, on building their, their own buyers list? Right. That's a great question. Um, so what I primarily tell them to do is to leverage title companies because the title companies are the ones that are closing the deals and they know who's buying. Mm -hmm. So I teach them how to go using Facebook groups and other uh, online platforms to find out what title companies people are recommending. Mm -hmm. And then they call the title companies and they say, Hey, look, I'm new to the area. Uh, I'm, I, I'm not ready to get into flips yet. I don't feel comfortable. Um, but I, I do find deals and I was wondering if you could connect me to your top buyers so I could bring them deals. And, uh, usually it works because we, we use like a referral system, like how we 
we heard about that title company. And then when we they give us their buyer, because they give it, you know, 90% of the time, sometimes they won't, right? They'll just be like, oh, we don't have a list. Um, but when we they give us a, a person or a buyer, we say, hey, this title company referred us to you, John, or, you know, would you be interested? Do you have some time to talk? Uh, you know, I want to, I'm consistently looking for deals so you don't have to. Uh, and then you develop that relationship through there. So that's that's one of the top ways. Also, hard money lenders is a great way to do it because hard money lenders are lending the money to the buyer so they know who's buying. Um, RIAs, re, uh, going to meetups, those people are all are there because they're either trying to learn or they're trying to get a deal. So those are like kind of the three ways we really stress to get started mm -hmm. uh, yep. finding buyers. And so internally, somebody's they're making these relationships. They're sort of taking down their criteria, figuring out buy boxes. And, and then what's what's sort of an ideal number of like for you, like in your business, let's say, how many buy like who are your go to buyers and how many are on that sort of short list? Like I I really have like seven that I'm really cool with, like me myself. Um, I think ideally it's like five to ten. A yeah. lot of people get away with one. Like if you have one good guy, that's like you can just call and be like, hey, I have this. Well, the the problem is most new wholesalers act like they're buying, right? They're acting in, like, hey, I can do this deal, but they don't know. They don't know who if someone's going to buy it, and that's the problem. The problem yeah. is like they're kind of faking it, right? Yeah. And that and if you're not um, genuine, if you don't come off like with confidence, like a, a seller can hear that or feel that, and if they feel that and they still go with you, it's because they feel like they don't have any other options. But if you can seriously like talk to that seller and be like, hey, look. And we're ready to perform. I know that we can do this price. And because either they know the buy box or they called their buyer before making the final offer and just verified that they're going to be way more successful than someone that just like 70% does the 70% minus ARV, sorry, minus 70% of ARV minus wholesale fee minus your repairs, because that doesn't work in every market, right. you know, in Midwest, you need to be like 50% in some towns and 40%. Yeah. So it's just di difficult to like blanket tell like a brand new wholesaler like where to be and what to do because they're all over the place. They're all over, you know, the country. Well, and I know too from experience working with new wholesalers that they early on, if they haven't worked on their buyers list, it is a confidence thing. They go in there and they say we're going to perform and they're just shaking in their boots because they don't know if they can perform or not. And like you said, that that comes across in the conversation to that, yeah. that potential seller that they yeah. maybe don't have their act together. Well, that's the thing. Like, it's all about confidence, right? And you want to feel good about the job you do, right? Like when I first started wholesaling and I was taught just to go get deals, like I wasn't very confident. I didn't like to tell people I wholesaled. I kind of felt like I was a liar. Yeah. felt like I wasn't like being straight up with people. But this strategy right here, it's like, no, like I, I feel 100% confident about what I'm doing. I, I feel good telling people I wholesale because I provide value to my buyers. And, um, you know, I'm trying to help people that are brand new feel that way too, because it's it's a big learning curve, and if you don't know what you're talking about, you're not going to feel confident <laughs> about what you do. 100. Mm -hmm. um, so you had mentioned that you had done a little bit of a nationwide um, business there for a while, and you know you've got some students that are that are locking up deals in other markets. Um, what are you doing for those students to let's say you've got a specific house that went under contract, you don't have any contacts in that market. What are you doing to source a buyer in that instance? So my strategy is agent agents agents usually have uh, cash buyers and um i use batch leads um to see what agents have represented cash buyers in the last year and mm -hmm. i call those agents and i say hey i noticed that your your buyer 
has a, uh, you know, you represent a lot of cash buyers. I got this one. It's right in the area where I can see that you represent this buyer. Can I send it to you? Would you be interested in helping me out to sell this and I'll pay you commission? Agents are key. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're, I mean, in theory, they're already well networked with a handful of buyers. So you're going straight to the the, the person that's already well networked. It's so we've done that same thing with our franchisees, with our students over the years, agents, but then also just, you know, you do a perimeter search within a mile over the last year, who are clearly the investors that have bought in that area. And to right. me, that's an easy phone call. It's like, Hey, look, you bought the easy. house right down the road six months ago. I've got another great investment property if you're interested. Yep. hundred percent. Those are, those are the main ways I do. It's either reach out to the agent or if you have the information from the buyer, just go directly to the buyer. Yeah. That's lead. I've not heard of batch leads. Is that, is that, it's, it's yeah. Lead batch talk. leads is an, is an awesome way for generating, uh, leads like, and buyers. It's, it's a software, uh, that it helps you market as well. You can like text, send your mail out. Gotcha. Um, nice. yeah, they're, they're, they're legit. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got, uh, let's say somebody brand new in the business and they're like, what do I do first? You know, I want to be a wholesaler. What do I do first? Are you telling them to start with the buyer's list? Or are you telling them to start marketing? What, what are you telling them day one to work on? Buyer's list. Well, first, our, so we have like a fast track that we take people through. So the first uh, module is like, hey, let's let's get your mindset. Let's get your routine ready because you got to be structured. So that's kind of the first thing we talk about is like, all right, let's 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 get your routine ready. After that, it's buyers, build the list, know what people want in your area because it's different all over the United States. Then once they feel like once they go through the second week and find their buyers, then it's time to find some deals. Yeah. And the thing is like finding buyers doesn't take you like a month. It takes you with what we teach people like two to three days. So just to to avoid that step, it's stupid because yeah. it's not like it takes forever. Yeah. It just it takes a couple of days. Well, it's like you said, it doesn't take that many buyers, right? You only need four or five really good ones and that you build a business around that. hundred percent. Especially if they're hedge funds, because they have an insatiable appetite. And I, again, a lot of them have these narrow buy boxes. But if that's your sort of that's your marching orders is like, I got to go find properties that fit in this buy box. You know, chances are they're going to buy them. Like you can feel pretty confident that if I match this buy box, I've got a buyer. Exactly. And and they're pretty cool. Like if you email them or reach out to them, they usually tell you what they'll offer even before you have it under contract. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I've got uh, some wholesalers that I work with locally and, uh, and they've done that to, with me where they've called me up and said, Hey, Ken, I know this is something that would fit your criteria. What, sh what would you pay? I give them my number and then they go back and negotiate it so that they make sure that they can negotiate in their margin. And like, that's a, that's a great way to put a deal together. Perfect. Right. Instead of locking it up at the wrong price, trying to send it out, nobody's interested and then scrambling way better to do it that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is funny how many wholesalers have thousands of people on their mailing list. Uh, and at the end of the day, they still really only sell to four or five. It's like, maybe don't waste your time on having a bunch of crappy buyers, but find five or six really good buyers. Yeah. And when I went nationwide, I, I did that. I paid like $25,000 for a big whole nationwide wholesalers buyers list of like 1.5 million buyers. And cause he told me that was the key. So I was like, okay, I got it. Don't, don't even really use the list. Really? Right. So yeah. It's, yeah. So you don't need a million buyers. You need, you need some relationships. That's yeah. it. That's, that's so true. No, I think that nail on the head, man. Um, any last thoughts for let's um, clearly you work with a lot of uh, newer investors. I mean, 
I, I love the fact that like get your head right, structure routine. Any like what what would be sort of that thirty thousand foot view advice you would give to somebody that's getting into the space? I would say connect with someone that's actually doing the business. That's what I would say. Um, if you can connect with someone that's buying, then that's going to be the most helpful. Whether you go to the RIA, whether you network with the uh, you know title companies, you, you got to connect with people that are doing this business, or you're just trying to figure it out yourself. That's why mentorships are so important. Masterminds, coaching. Those are people that are actually doing it so they can say, hey, stop doing that. It's a complete waste of time. Yep. So that's that's what I would say. Yep. I that. like it. Find people in the business. Don't just read stuff on the internet and think this is what I need to do. Find somebody in your market who's actually doing the work. And I think at the end of the day, you're, you're exactly right. It is all about networking. This business only works when you're networking. 100%. Yeah, I, I agree. Killer. Nathan, man, this is awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it, buddy. Hey, thanks Thank for you. having me. And is it okay if I invite some people to my my master class? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, give us a shout out. Where do you want to? Yeah, so so my last name is Payne, P A Y N E. So I call it painless wholesaling instead of like uh, a lot of people call it reverse wholesaling, but I call it painless wholesaling. So if you go to painlesswholesaling.com, I actually teach my strategy on a master class every Thursday at six p.m. Eastern Standard Time for free, where I show you exactly how to start to finish, get your first deal. And we put our money where our mouth is. I went to a brand new market with no money, with no relationships, and I started and I got a deal within 17 days. It was a five thousand dollar deal, uh, seller finance deal. And my my one of my employees did the same thing. He went to Florida and did a twenty thousand dollar deal in 30 days. And it was a JV deal, so he split it 50 50 and made 10. So it works. This works. Yeah. If you if you just randomly go out and do something, good luck. But uh if you are structured and you want to learn how to do it, painlesswholesaling.com will teach you for free. Love it, man. Fantastic. Nathan, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you for Thank having you. me. All right. Take care, buddy. All right. So what did you think, Kevin? I thought that was a really good conversation. Yeah, I thought it was really valuable. You know, <laughs> I learned a lot. I mean, it, it was actually good to hear his approach, you know, unique out where he's at at, at Salt Lake. And uh, I think there's a lot of up for us that we can take away as well. I like, too, that you know, he's sort of unabashed about the fact that I've scaled before and it, it wasn't all that. And I've kind of scaled back and, you know, I really enjoy my lifestyle. I, the, the business he's carved out because he's tried a lot of different things and he's find a, he's found a business that he likes that I feel like it seems like he enjoys it. It's simpler. It's simplified his life. It's simplified his business. It's just him and one VA. I think that says something about just kind of knowing yourself and knowing your business. Like I've been there, done that. And this is this is what I like. And it's, it's the sort of concept of reverse wholesaling. Yeah. You know, and he, it goes back to the conversation we had, what, a couple of weeks ago about motivation. He understands his why, you know, mm -hmm. he scaled up, made a bunch of money, but it wasn't satisfying the why. And so he was very intentional about making a change. And yeah. I think that's, that's one of the reasons it's important to know what your why is, you know, understand what's motivating you for, for pursuing this. Right. That's right. And when there's, and sometimes you know, you, you hit some challenges and it's like, you know what, this is more trouble that doesn't mean you always have to overcome all your, sometimes it's like, you know, this is a little bit more trouble than it's worth. I'm not enjoying this anymore. I'm going to pivot and do this model instead. And mm -hmm. it's turned out to be a really good model for them, which is this, again, this concept of having a couple of really good buyers, knowing their buy box and then going and finding deals for them. Yeah. Yeah. And he understands this market really well. And he recognizes, you know, that what he's doing in Salt Lake is is different than the way it would work, maybe, say, in Arizona. Yeah. And even as he looked national, you know, he looked at other markets, looked at other ways. He, you know, admitted what went well, what went poorly, but he knows his market and he knows what works there. Well, and he said it. This, his model works in any market. 
in the sense that there's always wholesalers in any market, there's people finding deals and selling deals, and there's always buyers in every market. And what he's done, he sort of positioned himself as, well, let me just be the go-between. I'm mm -hmm. going to do a really good job of networking and finding who these buyers are and who's got, who's got these specific buy boxes. And then I'm going to network and figure out who are the wholesalers, who are the agents, what's going on in MLS. And let me just be really good at sourcing existing deals. He's mm -hmm. not even doing off-market marketing from what it sounds That's like. That's right. Yeah, he's he, just he, just, he did a lot of JVs, right? He talked about that as well. Yep. He's sourcing deals that have already kind of been found, except now he's positioning himself as the middleman. Let mm -hmm. me go put these two parties together. What I took away was just how consistent he is. Yeah. I mean, very consistent on networking and building relationships. He understood that, hey, having a list of 100,000 uh, cash buyers maybe wasn't the best. For him, hey, five, six, seven, building those relationships, building out those networks. He was just very intentional about that. Yeah, which is a, it's a good, you know, throwback to our podcast from last week about consistency and motivation. Motivation is great. And that's is the fire in, the, in your belly that gets you started. But what ultimately gets you to your end goal is going to be how consistent you are and every day waking up and yeah, you've got this big why out there, but choosing to be a consistent person. And I think in this context, what that means is consistently networking. It is so hard to be successful as a wholesaler or a flipper if you are not consistently networking with people, because that's typically where your deals come from, either your deals or your buyers come mm -hmm. from networking. And a lot of times it's both. That's right. And knowing where to build those networks, right? Being disciplined to to go out and, and attend a RIA, right? To, to make right. the phone call, to, to put yourself out there and to find the people that you, you know, you need to build relationships with. We tell people all the time that this is a business of relationships. That, that's one of the things that, that differentiates people who are successful and not being able to identify folks, build a, a legitimate relationship, right? And then build business off of that. Yeah. You know, I, I thought he had a really good roadmap for that, you know, get ease the low hanging fruits, jump on Facebook. Where are the groups? There's, you know, there's always going to be a RIA on a Facebook group somewhere. Get in, get into that group and then start asking around. Now you're not working online. Okay. Who are the title companies that I should be working with in this area? And everybody's got any market. You're going to have a handful of title companies that sort of rise to the top. They're the favorites that the investors work with. They're investor friendly. They know the space. All right. Now, now let's go and meet with these title companies. And mm -hmm. let's pick their brain. Who are your who are your big clients? I just want to network. Okay. And then you get some names from them. Now you're calling these people and saying, Hey, I talked to ABC Title Company. They said they work with you. Hey, I'd love to work with you. I'm new in town. I've just started this business. I'm sourcing deals. What sort of deals do you buy? And then bam, just like that, you've networked your way into some legitimate buyers. When he said that uh, you know, they'd gone into a couple of different markets, just cold, no money, right? And just to to use that system and what within a matter of just a couple of weeks, boom, they were landing deals. He did it in a couple of different markets. That's right. Yeah. And it's not to say that if you if you if somebody popped a deal and they didn't know anybody, it's not to say that you can't find a buyer for that. There are strategies for all right, who are the buyers that have just bought around me in the last year or so? We've done that with our with our franchisees. I've done that with our coaching students, and it works. Mm -hmm. Just because clear, if somebody bought a, an investment property a mile down the road in the, in the last year, chances are they're still open to buy another investment property. So you just got to figure right. out who are those people. But isn't it a lot easier to know that you've got these five buyers who have very specific tastes and then, and then you just, then you're just, just chase down those deals. Let's go figure out who's, who's operating. Them. Who are the wholesalers already finding deals in those areas? Let's bring these two parties together. Well, and he referenced it just gives you such a boost of confidence as you're as you're dealing with a, a homeowner, you're negotiating it. You know, it's like you already know you got a buyer lined up, you know what they want, you know what they're looking for, and you don't have to fake it. 
Right? You don't yeah. have to fake of, oh, right. I, I can get this done. It's like, you know, well, I, absolutely. I know the guy and I know who, you know, what he's looking for. And this is a fit. And it's, it's funny. It's always, I think there's two different schools of thought as to how to approach a seller. You know, some will say, yeah, I'm going to take down the deal. And in, in, in reality, they know they're going to sign their contract. But some, a lot of times are like, look, I've got five buyers. I know are going to want your house. And I'd love to, I'd love to connect you with them. And just, you can be forthright with the potential seller. This is what I do. This is who I am. And I'm going to connect you with my buyers. And I know I can get this house sold for you. And that's, and that's fine. You can approach it really either way, but sometimes it makes it easier for, especially a newbie who wants to, wants to represent themselves and their business well. And, you know, if they're representing that they're going to buy it, they know they're not going to buy it. They're not even sure if they have a, a buyer on the back end. You go right. in there and you're just shaking in your boots. Like, right. I'm about to lie and I don't have a buyer and I don't know if I can perform. Sometimes it's easier just to be like, look, this is who I am and this is who I've got. And I, I'm pretty sure I can get this house sold for you. And there's nothing wrong with doing that either. Yeah, and that's why we encourage our franchisees day one, build your buyer list, build your buyer list, build those relationships from day one. Yeah. It makes such a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. Well, I thought it was a great conversation, very pertinent, especially to our franchisees. A lot of our folks that are, are getting started, it's get out there and start networking right out of the gates. Don't wait till you have a deal. Start, make it part of your routine. He talked about that a little bit as well. It's like, what is your routine? What's your headspace look like? And sometimes it's nice to maybe just have somebody map out your routine for you for that first week. What is your, what does every hour look like of every day? Some mm -hmm. people need that. Not everybody needs that, but some people need that. Like help me yeah. map this out. Well, with his approach of, of wholesaling, you know, a lot of times people who are brand new to the space, just getting involved in real estate investing, don't have either the resources to jump immediately into a rehab and doing a flip, uh, or they don't want to take that type of, you know, massive risk. Boy, that's, that's a huge outlay, right? And so wholesaling is great first step, great first step to get into this space, get comfortable there. And that's just going to serve you down the line with as you get more and more involved with it. Absolutely. That is one of the great things about our businesses, all the different tools you have in your tool bag. You don't want to flip. You can wholesale. If you don't want to wholesale, you can you can wholetail. You can refer it out to agents. There's so many ways to monetize uh, leads or even just relationships in this business. Right. Just figuring out exactly. what makes sense for you. Awesome, man. Well, great conversation, Kevin. Let's uh, let's do this again next week. I think so. I think it's a great plan. Hey, have fun with those bees. I will. Yeah, uh, probably murder a couple more today. That's the plan. That's right. Hey, next time, take some honey out while you do that, too. That way you're eating the honey while you're murdering them. Dude, I don't think they make honey, but that's, we'll just rub it in their face. You can't even yeah. make honey, and now that's I'm right. like, no. That's right, just to, just to make them a little more jealous. Look at this. Look what I've got. The productive bees do this for us. Now die. <laughs> Good All conversation. Right, See you, man. See you. Friends, thanks so much for making it all the way to the end of today's podcast. If you or possibly a friend has any interest in learning more about real estate investing or opportunities with Red Barn Home Buyers, take a minute and head on over to redbarnhomes.com and check out our investors page or our franchise page, or just drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Can't wait to see you on the next episode of The Deal Farm.